Hello and welcome to the Agora Politics Podcast. This is your host, Alex Mershak. Today I'm speaking with Victor Rivera. Victor is a clinical psychology graduate student at Pepperdine University. We talk maintaining mental health in quarantine, how to engage with people you disagree with, particularly when your interlocutors are those who are closest to you, whether that's friends, relatives, or perhaps even significant others, the importance of maintaining mental flexibility in discourse, getting through to the ideologically possessed, the responsibility that we may share to have discussions with those you disagree with, and how to stay sane during this tumultuous time. This is going to be a lighter episode than normal. Unfortunately, during the time of the recording, I was a little bit uh, strained for time, and so I didn't get to talk to Victor quite as long or as in-depth as I would have liked to, but it was a great starter conversation, and I really wanted to get something out there on maintaining our mental health and the state of polarization in light of this crisis. So without further ado, I give you Victor Rivera. So let's get started. One. Hello and welcome to the Agora Politics Podcast. This is your host, Alex Mershak. Today we're doing a special episode given the extraneous circumstances that we all find ourselves in with the coronavirus sort of ravaging the entire world right now and everything shut down. And in the spirit of the primary aim of this podcast, which is reducing political polarization in general, one interesting intersection uh, for both of those topics is just maintaining um, proper psychology, both in times of great crisis as well as in our political discourse and dealing with increasing polarization and trying to better understand one another. So I wanted to have someone on who could speak on this. I've got uh, with me here my friend Victor Rivera. Victor, can you tell people who you are and introduce yourself a little bit? Hi, thanks for having me on. Um great to be here. My name is Victor, and I am currently a uh, clinical psychology student at Pepperdine University. I'm working on my master's, and we'll probably continue on and get some kind of doctorate, maybe an educational psych. Um, And I work as a personal trainer uh, to make money, because we all have to have like 95 jobs these days. So, uh, you know, I would say the thing about me is that I my focus is mental and physical health separately and then together obviously those two things go together and um those two things are very useful in this particular time i would say uh you know and then you know me from online uh i am someone who likes to be on social media and mix it up so to speak um also learn i use social media to learn and meet people and, you know, get, engage in different views, if you will. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. Great. Awesome. And uh, so I, I actually really like that you're one, one thing that's interesting about your, your background is that you're working both with the body and the mind. Um, mm-hmm. And this problem of uh, body mind dualism that we have in mm-hmm. Western culture, where we view them as sort of separate and not like completely integrated parts is right. one of the one of the biggest issues that we have. And I think it's actually uh, something that contributes to people just being able to maintain their, their regular health, uh, mental health in general is just not paying enough attention to their bodies. Right. Yeah. And right now, right. Uh, at least for me, you know, like a lot of the gyms are, well, all the gyms are closed. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
And, you know, I'm I know myself and many others are finding ourselves a little stir crazy just being stuck inside and, you know, maintaining a regular exercise of some kind, even if you have to do it indoors, is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think for starters, from a psychological standpoint, uh, one thing for people to really um, think about right away, you know, we're we're locked up. We're going to be locked up for the foreseeable future, more or less. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. I, I feel like I think some people think we'll be out in two weeks or whatever, and I don't see that um, that particular range happening, at least a month, two months, you know. And, then, you know, I always say most people, I think a lot of people would say, kind of plan for the worst, expect the best, or hope for the best, plan for the worst. Um, so right now, you know, I know it's that, that sense of, Hey, there's no rules. I can stay up till, you know, 7 a.m. and, you know, binge eat or whatever and all that kind of stuff. It's very tempting to just slide into that lifestyle. But um, I think you'll first, I know for me, you find that pretty boring pretty quick, you know. So, the, the, from a, so, again, from a psychological standpoint, the best thing you can do right now is assume that this is going to be a while. And, hey, you know, you can come up with a routine for yourself, just a daily routine. Uh, I'm going to try to get up by this time. I'm going to eat my breakfast. I'm going to work out, read some books. Uh, I'm going to use this time to stare at the news, you know, from 12 to 1, you know, something like that. <laughs> maybe um, don't stare so at the because... news. <laughs> maybe don't stare at the news, right? I have that problem, and, you know, we'll get to that probably a little later. At some yeah. Point. But, um, yeah, I mean, definitely the gym's close. You don't real. we don't even, we probably can't fathom how much our lives have been upended. And, um, but something like getting to the gym really, really is difficult for people who like to exercise. You know, there's some specific equipment there. Of course you can work out at home, but it's not the same. Your home, your couch is there, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it can be very challenging. That's why I think the more you think about your whole day being kind of a routine, uh, the more likely you'll be to be able to exercise at home. So, yeah, I mean, certainly getting everyone back into maintaining a routine as normal as possible is a really big thing that you can do to, to keep balance. Um, in terms of like how this crisis is being processed just on a, on a social level and on a national level, or, I mean, really it's on a global level, uh, that we're all, we're all doing this, especially on the internet. But, uh, do you think that the political climate has calmed down and everyone has managed to sort of coalesce around, uh, sort of a common enemy or do you still see a lot of kind of petty bickering and infighting and um, just ridiculous antics uh, in spite of this? Uh, well, I, I mean, the first thing I'll say is uh, for here in America, uh, I believe President Trump's uh, approval rating is at 50%. It's, it's the highest it's been since I think the beginning of his uh, term. So I think people are at least sort of glad there's a leader and coalescing in some sense that, hey, you know, someone is up there doing something, whatever whatever it is, whether you think it's good or bad or not great or whatever. There's someone there, there's people around him, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I see a general move in that direction of simplifying things. Uh, maybe people aren't so worried about everything he says, you know, every tweet, they're more concerned with or agree with uh, whatever his 
coronavirus takes on. So I, I think it's at least simplified in terms of what we're seeing. I think, uh, you know, most people are happy to see that a lot of this is, as much as it's a global phenomenon, mm-hmm. uh, it's, definitely a, it's definitely a local one. So um, people are, if they're not happy with how he, he's behaving or, you know, policy-wise, uh, they're, they're at least able to turn themselves to the local reality of it. If you're in New York, you know, you're probably not thinking about his latest tweet or something like that, at least I hope not. Um, so I definitely see, as far as the uh, virus goes, that there's less, you know, drama, if you will. Um, there's still petty stuff, though. I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people, there are some people who are worried about him saying the Chinese virus, but don't call it that and all that stuff. And I think, I feel like that's a smaller amount of people than usual. You know, I felt like, uh, you know, we live online pretty much. So it seemed like everyone had an opinion one way or another on things like Trump has done or the right or something or the left. Um, whereas I think it's a smaller portion worried about, say, the name of the virus. It's just kind of like, it's just, there's just too many deaths happening too fast. Yeah, um, for people to wage those "quote unquote" petty battles. So I think a little bit, you know, like this kind of conversation is a lot easier to happen now than say, like when the Covington kids <laughs> or, or those stories were going around. We were all just kind of like agitated at stupid news, you know. Yeah. Um, this, this this time, I think, at least makes things more serious. So. Well, so yes and, and no, I guess is the fast answer. One of one of the interesting dynamics that I. I saw in the beginning of this and I'm still seeing it a little bit is this sort of just predictable behavior of everyone uh, taking whatever their prior belief structure was uh, before this crisis happened and then using interpreting the crisis in such a way to support whatever their primary belief was. (laughs) Right. So if you're a socialist, this is exactly why we need socialism. If you're a libertarian, this is exactly why we need government to get out of the way. If you're a communist, Mm -hmm. this is exactly why China's system is better. You know, and it just goes yeah. on and on and on. Um, and everyone can play this game. Uh, and I am seeing yeah. some people play that game a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm certainly seeing people who are still angry at um, the slow response, you know, in the initial denial from the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm seeing from the other side, people saying, well, look, Trump tried to close the borders down in January and people, you know, didn't want him to do that. Blah blah right. blah blah blah. Sure, um, sure. So I'm I'm still seeing people sort of sort of fighting over table scraps in a way. Um, uh-huh. Absolutely. But I do think there is a general sentiment that people understand that this problem is so much bigger than all of us right now. That if we're it getting is. distracted by focusing on tr- trivial and frankly just trivial stuff and things that we we'll, we can figure out after this is handled, um, yeah. then we're 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 actually you know harming each other. Yeah, I mean, my, my main hope is that people are able to see that this thing is attacking all systems, you know? If you uh, if you look at, um, like, Italy's system, more socialized, blah, 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 they're obviously getting hammered. <laughs> you know, if you look at uh, South Korea, a lot of people are saying, wow, look at South Korea's response. But I mean, they're still they're still seeing a high 
level of percentage of deaths is just mitigated. You know, it's, I don't know, whatever. It's kind of like 1.5%. And if you do the math here in America, that's still going to be a big numbers. Um, you know, you have China who was slow out of the gate. I, I think, I hope people see that. And I'm, I, you, you know, I am as critical of Trump as they get. But I also feel like it's very hard to know what to do with this kind of thing. You know, it's a very strange um, situation to be in. It's, it's, a, it's a virus. It's amorphous. You know, it's the deaths, even though it's highly contagious, we weren't seeing the deaths right away. Um, so I think, I hope people see that they should drop their priors at least a little bit and not assume one particular type of government would have stopped this. It, it's... Um, so I think it's more of a containment issue. You can you can argue about that. Yeah. You know, definitely. But I think there's still people who believe we could have numbers like zero if only we acted really fast or something like that. And um, you know, did, did the have the right communist party in place? And uh, I don't I don't believe that. The other angle that I'm seeing on this is people are um, making it a dichotomy between protecting health and uh, protecting mm -hmm. the functioning of the economy. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. it's not it's not either or, it's both and. Yes. Um, and in terms of the coming like economic hardship that 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 this is going to ensue, I think that's going to be hard on a lot of people as well. Um, yes. and that certainly isn't it, any kind of economic hardship whether it's caused by a pandemic or uh, you know, a crash in the financial system is always going to generally uh increase the amount of um political problems in a country so i'm a little bit worried about that i'm not sure what your take is on the economic impacts i mean i know that's not really yeah your area but um yeah i mean well i would always say my area is mental health so people dealing yeah. with unemployment or yeah uh, lack yeah. of structure things like that yeah i mean if you there's a field that you know i actually took a course on it last quarter but uh, there's a field called industrial and organizational psychology. Um, basically, it's a huge field, but one you know specifically here, um, it's the psychology of having a job, right? And you know, human relations and all that good stuff. And if you ask people, um, would you still work when you're retired? I think the number is over seventy percent. You can Google that or something. But uh, so, what does that mean? I mean, working at least at some level is a very important part of people's lives. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, I, at least, this goes about sort of any topic. I think the most important thing is we have to have a conversation. We don't have to agree on the answer, right? Like getting back to work by Easter is, I think, kind of horrific <laughs> in terms of, you know, life and death. But I am not going to give people a hard time if they say, you know, jobs and stuff, it's very meaningful to people. I mean, I, you know, I, I will like think of my stepdad, for instance, who um, he's 76 years old. He has COPD, right? He's, he's high in this uh, susceptible range. And like, he, 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 if someone said, hey, you know what, lockdown ended, you can go back to work. He's someone who would go back to work, even though, you know, he's very much like, hey, I'm not going to live my life controlled by this thing or something like that. So um, it's not just young people trying to sacrifice old people or, or whatever. I think 
um, there's definitely an element of people who know that work and the economy is very important to them. I think uh, the flip side of that, though, is those people should really think about the total number of uh, citizens that will die if we do things too rapidly without any sort of control over what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, the main thing to me is, like, we have to at least have a conversation. I think uh, the economy and uh, working and society is something that is a part of the equation that you absolutely have to account for. We can't just shut it down for a year and a half. I, I tip toward humanity and keeping us locked in, um, but it's definitely uh, – it's very important that we look at – um, just working in society, you know, I want to make sure we avoid people making a run on the convenience stores and crime and things like that. Um, we don't want to get to that particular place. Yeah. So, uh, let's have a conversation at least. It, it does make you acutely aware of the thin layer, um, of social structure yeah. that sort of keeps everything running. And how fragile that, that really is, you know, the supply chains and um, yeah. just being able to normally function and getting, like you said, you know, we're right now we're at a point where we just don't want this to overwhelm the system so heavily that we end up in a chaotic situation. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I was just saying in terms of like keeping, keeping the peace though, um, keeping <laughs> calm, yeah. what are, what are some things that we can do to, uh, have better conversations when we politically disagree because you and I, I know just from our interactions online, we don't agree on yeah. everything. We certainly no. have different <laughs> viewpoints and, and, and we're not exactly the most, uh, always the most polite about it. Um, no. uh, in terms of telling you what we think. So, um, yeah. we managed to, to nevertheless still have friendly, friendly relations. So w what do you, what do you think we could do to have better conversations with each other? Uh, how important is it to try to talk to people with different views? Do you talk to people with views that you detest? What's your how do you how do you draw the line? What do you do with radicals? Um, I want to get into all those. Radical. Okay, let's start at the top, which is I was I you know I was really happy we I forget what the specific issue was, um, but I, you know I was really happy when you know we were arguing online and you said you know I bet. If we were talking in person, it wouldn't be like like this. Even mm. if we weren't agreeing, it wouldn't be you know like just snarky, nasty, whatever. And so I think that really stuck with me. I'm glad you said that. And I think that's the first thing you want to say in terms of disagreeing with people online mm. you know, in person. So different. We'll get to that. But um, so I think the first thing is just you always want to say to yourself before you send the flame, or at least after. Sometimes things happen quickly, but you, you know, like you did, right? It's called a repair. So you repair the relationship, friendship, online friendship, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's something, right? We got how many hours a day are we on there? It clearly matters on some level, right? People say, oh, it's just online. It's like, well, I mean. There's something, uh, there's something you know, magical I'm, happening on Twitter. I'm just going to tell people. There is. It, I know, right? I mean, it's, it's human interaction, especially for people who you know, in academia, introverted a little bit, maybe, um, <laughs> just busy, whatever, you know. There's, there's, there's a lot of extroverts on Twitter. There's Gary Vee. He's yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, we like information, you know, so it's, it's, it's important. So I, I think you don't want to lose that, right, just because you disagree on one thing. 
Um, so I think the first thing you do is say, hey, if this was, you know, if this person was sitting across from me, would I be behaving this particular way? And the chances are probably not. And then from there, you say, is this person human? You know, just they're, they're human, right? Like they're, they're a person. They're not a little avatar that you see. Okay, you so go, so that's, yeah. that's the online atmosphere. What do I do, yeah. for example, when I'm at the dinner table? And I've yeah. got people that are close to me and we vehemently disagree with one another. <laughs> and maybe yeah. one of them is even convinced that the other one is so wrong that they might be immoral for, for being that wrong. How do you, right. how do you deal with those kind of relationships that could potentially rupture over a political disagreement? Um, I think the first thing is noticing how you're physically feeling. Mm -hmm. If you feel hot, you know what I mean? If your, your eyebrows kind of, furrowed is that the word if you're you know you're feeling like uh if you're feeling like almost like when you do online right when someone's saying something <laughs> i don't get i don't get angry online that much so i don't i don't know yeah you know what i i'm pretty i'm pretty good but i also like i just get agitated i get agitated is the word you know i'm not angry um like at least 99.99% of the time. But, you know, I can get agitated. It's just it's just like I'm not there. I like to be right. Uh, you know, I hate being wrong. So I just... Or, you know, you're just mindlessly on Twitter after having a really bad day and then you're just looking to lash that's, out. You know what? That's another thing. So if you're saying... I think there's a few things you can do, right? You're, 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 you know, this person, it's the dinner table, it's family, it's a close friend, all of the above. The first thing you might say is, what kind of day am I having, mm -hmm. first of all? Because if I'm having a bad day and then this person's like, you know, uh, uh, this thing is no worse than the flu or something, right? And, you, and you know, your brain's like, oh, my God, exponential growth and curves and you, know, you have all this information and you could totally like – The corona freak out. Yeah, you could totally go off on them. But also you're locked in the house and, you, you know, you're, you're worked up and maybe someone called you a jerk earlier. I don't know. So, if, you know, at least go through like a system of check downs before getting into it, which is, you know, it, it, what is my goal here? Right? Is my goal to unleash my anger and make my ego feel better? Or is my goal to have a conversation, a two-way conversation where I get information from this person? I think it's always good to ask questions. You know, why do you think it's not as bad as the flu? Or, I mean, why do you think it's not as bad as the flu, right? Something like that. Um, and then from there, you want you say, well, you know, here's what I've been reading. And, you know, a lot of the evidence shows that while the numbers are not as much as the flu now, we're, we're, we're talking things are, excuse me, things are going to double, triple down the road. You know, this is what I'm seeing. Um, and then kind of leave it at that i have the five minute rule or whatever you want to call it which is if you can't say it in under five minutes don't say it because that's just most people aren't going to listen to you if you're just <laughs> teeing off on them at dinner for like and it's probably less than that but i think you can get your point you know i'm a big believer in planting seeds a lot of people think i have to change this person's mind in real time and that's where a lot of the frustration arises. So I'm a, I'm more of a planting seeds kind of person, typically. I put them online, I get really worked up. But, um, you know, I mean, I had a friend uh, find me on Facebook, and I hadn't seen him since, say, high school, uh, pretty sure. 
and he just and he messaged me, hey man, you know, I hope everything's good. You know what's really crazy? You know, it annoyed me at the time, but the things you said in high school really make sense now. You know, I was always kind of a debater type person. Mm. But you know what? Because of that, you should be thinking like that. So even though this person's in front of you right now at the dinner table, just think, you know what? Maybe they're not listening to me in this moment, but the next time they read a story, there's a little bit of doubt in what they're reading, right? Whatever the material is or they question it. And they're like, yeah, you know what? I guess you were right. I don't know. But when you add all those layers of emotion onto it, just people go the other way, right? I mean, unfortunately, that's the way the human mind works. So when you are sort of making it a moral thing, even though their facts are wrong, you're kind of like, what are you, an idiot? You know, what's wrong with you? Do you even care about people? I don't know. You might say some stuff like that. Not you, but some people might start getting into that type of thing. Um, So when they're across from you, just try to remember to ask and um, try to learn from them and then share what you got you know, kind of move on to the next thing. Yeah, and, you know, there's also the possibility that you could be wrong (laughs) about something. You know, that's a big thing. I'm really glad you said that because you might be wrong. I mean, that's what, what, and what's, you should, you should doubt yourself a little bit, you know, and I think that's um, part of the problem where people just can't admit that, like, just, if this person in front of you is not admitting that they might be wrong, Chances are you're doing the same thing. So you should at least have a little bit of healthy skepticism um, in terms of what you think is going on. Yeah, there's also there's also one of the other issues I think is that um, people will identify with their belief systems, right? Yeah. So so obviously Absolutely. we all get defensive when our beliefs are challenged because uh, if yeah. if they're making us doubt our beliefs, then they're they're creating more uncertainty about the world, and that's anxiety provoking. Yeah. Um, but we can always get to a point where uh, where our beliefs are, are, are going to change. I mean, I've experienced uh, multiple changes in my belief systems politically, mm. religiously, spiritually, in all kinds of ways. Um, yeah. And I haven't even been, you know, alive very long. <laughs> Or, or really, <laughs> or really picked up too many. And one of the things uh, that's interesting about this podcast is that we are um, explicitly uh, non-ideological, and so we're committed. Cool. We're committed to a method, and in so in so far as yeah. uh, our method of sense making or our method of um, inquiry is what we follow, then that could be said to be our belief system. But we're not trapped in a particular ideology. Um, and the reason for that is that, uh, just for me personally, once you label yourself, oh, I'm a this, I'm a that, I belong in this yeah. camp or camp X, Y, Z, well, now you have a an anchor that your entire belief structure can reinforce around, and it makes you less yeah. flexible, and it gives you more blind spots, and and now you're committed to a thing that isn't you, right? Like, whatever that thing is, whether it's, you know, the Democratic Party or uh, you know, defeating Trump in the next election or like whatever, or, you know, libertarianism, whatever your political, um, objective is, is something separate than from what, than, than you are, right? It's some kind of meme or organization. It's not you. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you, (laughs) what do you think about people that are ideologues or trapped in a an extreme political persuasion. I mean, we don't consider that 
um, a category of mental illness. But <laughs> <laughs> so you're allowed Excuse to be, <laughs> you're allowed to be a perfectly sane person and have politically extreme views. Uh, but it certainly can make you difficult to talk to. On the other hand, I know people who are really far on the the left or really far on the right who are actually perfectly capable of having a cordial conversation with someone. So do you think it's more the belief structure that someone has, or do you think it's their particular temperament that makes them uh, more or less difficult to have a productive dialogue with? Yeah. I mean, the thing that comes to my mind is, um, yes, I think it's, it's more the case of a temperament thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, for me, I mean, if I'm looking at it from a clinical psychology standpoint, um, you, when you're doing therapy and you're investigating mental illness and, you know, treatments and all that, um, and working with people, you want to have a theoretical orientation at least a little bit, because when someone shows up across from you and they just, oh my God, my day and my husband and, you know, my kids and my job and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It can be really overwhelming, you know, when a lot of information comes flying at you. So you, you want to have an underlying theoretical orientation so that when you're processing this information, um, you're able to do so in a way that you can collect all of it and kind of, you know, boil it down to a little bit of a chunk and work with this person and then have the flexibility to use other orientations based on their particular problem. You know, like some, some orientations are better for just anxiety symptoms, for instance. But if they're having existential dread, and I think like, you, you know, you were talking about the mind and the body, maybe you'll bring up a gestalt-type method where it's like, hey, why aren't you thinking yourself all as one, whatever. So I think that's the same thing politically. You know, it's, 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 it's one thing to be a little bit of an ideologue or just kind of label yourself a certain thing. Um, but if you do so in a way that's more of a general orientation politically, right? Hey, look, I really think a society would be better if we focus on individual rights or if we, you know, had socialism or something like that. Um, but if you allow, I like that word you used earlier, which flexibility. Uh, people who are temperamentally flexible, um, you can have a conversation with, right? But the people who are just really rigid, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they could they could call themselves a centrist and still be really rigid, you know? It's right. Like, it's not, they're not able to appreciate why someone would be so far left or something like that, you know? You might have someone like Chomsky, as far left as he is, he really likes engaging in, you know, free conversation and, and debate and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, you're one thing or the other when you're an ideologue in terms of conversation. Some people are just, they're at least willing to show up. Um, so, that, you know, that has to do with challenging your temperament and saying, hey, at least, at least pretend to be flexible. Um, huh. That's my hypothesis anyway. So there's trait there's trait openness, right? And there's there's yeah. certain degrees of yeah. flexibility in terms of ex, you know, novelty and wanting to explore different belief systems. Uh yeah. and then there's psychological defensiveness. Yes. Yeah. 
And those are those are actually separate things. So someone who's not yeah. necessarily high in openness could still be uh, relatively easy to talk to, uh, even if they're yeah. um, low openness, just because if they're yeah. very calm and not in a defensive state. Uh, so 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 I guess one of the questions I have for you is how do I get how do you get people to be less defensive? Uh, in these conversations, so they're more inclined to consider your your point of view. Or really, is it uh, a, know, a, more about understanding? I'm sorry. Is it more about understanding yeah, them? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So I think, well, first of all, I, I, this is why I really love clinical psychology because it it makes you do these things in real time. You are going to have a skinhead sitting across from you or something like that. You know what I mean? They're going to have, if you're in a prison, you're working with, you know, um, maybe a murderer, you know, something like that, or you're just working with people and maybe they're very, they're a communist and you're not and whatever the case is. And I think, you know, you, you at least, no one says you have to work with everybody, but um, when someone's across from you, the first thing you do is you accept their humanity. And I think when, you accept their humanity and when you show them that they're heard, agree or disagree, but when they're heard, you'll see, ideally, you'll see less of those defense mechanisms. One major thing I think people should always try to do, even if you're worked up, is model good behavior, right? So you have to kind of say, what if I was on the other side, how do I want some, how would I want someone to behave? Or if my child were watching me and this person, you know, said some crazy view, whatever the case is, and I said, Well, you know, I don't agree with that, but I you know, but I know that we both agree on freedom of speech or you know. So the more you accept their humanity and try to find things that you agree on, um, you the more you can bring those walls down, you know? Kinda create some space between the particular thing that you disagree on and just try to imagine that there's probably a lot, uh, the things that you disagree on and try to imagine there's a lot that you do agree on. Um, so that's the first thing you could, first couple of things you could do in a situation like that to try to bring down those, you know, defense mechanisms and cognitive biases um, where they're identifying with their belief more than just seeing it as just some, like an idea. Uh, and then from there, I mean, you, I, I think the more you ask people questions and try to learn about them, um, the more you can then try to see where there's space for discussion, disagreement. Because uh, a lot of people are just not ready for that, right? They're not, <laughs> they haven't been challenged in their whole life. You know, a lot of people just walk around and say stuff. I'm sure you've noticed that. Yeah. And, you know, we look online, we're like, what the hell? Look at this. No, it's 2%, not 3%. You know, we're pedantic about every little, you know, study or something like that. And not a lot of people are ready for that. Um, so, so you just kind of have to see where people are at and work with them and understand their humanity. And I think you'll be able to bring those walls down and your own, right? I think it's a way of settling yourself so that you're open to discussion. Yeah. I think training yourself to become desensitized to outrage um, yeah. and, not just online, but also just generally getting, you know, uh, triggered in, in, in real life by, 
um, yeah. trivial events. Not, I'm not talking about genuine trauma. Um, yeah. Is something that you could is just part of, I, I guess, mental hygiene. Really, um, I yeah. view it, I view it like meditating or getting regular exercise or anything else. Like, I have a responsibility to curate my, um, especially my digital media diet, but also my social life. So that uh, I'm not doing things that are just feeding these negative emotions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't read it in a while, but I, I really love the. I forget his name, Mark Madsen. Mark, I forget his last name. Um, he wrote the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just I love. There's a lot of good ideas in there. Some of these stoic ideas. But I really love the general idea that you only have so many fucks to give, as he puts it, mm-hmm. eloquently. So that's a great way to address your day, which is like, hey, you know, here's how much I should be consuming. And if I consume more than this, then, you know, my workouts stink. Yeah. My relationships with the family, people in my life stink. You know, right? If you're angry online for 12 hours a day, then, you know, chances are you're not spending enough time with your family, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I like what you said there, which is um, thinking about what you're trying to feed, which is you want to at least, well, they call it the PNP sandwich when you're talking to people, positive, you know, give them some positive feedback, a little bit of negative and then positive. So just think about that for yourself, which is, yeah, you know, how much positive am I putting into my day? There's always going to be crap, you know, feeding the bad news, you know, stuff like that. Um, but you also want to feed yourself good stuff, exercise, eating well, getting enough sleep, uh, so that you can deal with, you know, the toughest stuff in life. And also just so you can be a whole self, mm-hmm. not just an angry self. Yeah, and as one of the things that I try to keep in mind, just from my own experience, is that when you're seeing people that are really angry, and they're lashing out, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's online or in real life, what you're actually seeing is like a really hurt person. Yeah. Like that person yeah. is hurt right now. And, Absolutely. and that's why they're reacting in that way. And so uh, when you take that perspective, it's a lot easier for one, for you to not respond, for you to not take on that frame, but also yeah. um, to empathize with them, at least for me, I, I remember, you know, periods earlier in my life when I was more angry or more, um, uh, I guess, disgruntled generally in terms of my interactions. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's just because I was in a bad place, you know, and um, okay. people, yeah. people, you know, fall down from time to time and it takes them some yeah. time to get back up. And so uh, with all of that in mind, um, we're trying to move past ideology. We're trying to incorporate um, new ways of thinking about solving problems. Uh, on this show, we're dedicated to one-on-one dialogue. Do you think you have a responsibility to reach out to people that disagree with you, or do you think it's perfectly fine for to sort of stay in your lane and avoid uh, confrontational conversations? What's your take on that? Yeah. That might just be a uh, temperamental thing based on how combative you are, but. You know what? Hmm. One thing you should always try to do is be true to yourself. So mm-hmm. if there's something that's really important to you, 
um, and someone you disagree with is saying something, doing something, um, and you know you'd like to say something back. I would say try to have a discussion, or at least make your point and move on. Uh, we talked about the ways you can do that, but definitely, you know, I, I'm not a confrontation is a very strong word. So if you can minimize that, it's hard to be confrontational. I'd say the first thing is don't feel like you have to be perfect at it. Um, it's like I said earlier, which is it's about planting seeds. So even if you're kind of like, why would you say that or something, and you run off, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, if you if you you know if you feel like it's important to you to kind of say something, that's good. There's a lot of people temperamentally who just say, I just want to go about my day. And I don't want to, you know, have all these debates. I don't want to talk about politics at the dinner table. Um, you know, I would encourage those people to at least say that they don't want to talk about politics so that they're having some kind of a discussion um, so that you at least, you, you're just knowing something about them because who knows, maybe they'll change, you'll change your mind. I don't know. Uh, so I think it's definitely important to reach out and talk to people that you disagree with. I like learning. I mean, if you are any way interested in learning about yourself and just learning new information, one that's one reason to talk to people you disagree with because you're getting a new viewpoint um, and you're getting new information, which is tough at first, but always exciting down the road. And the other thing is learning how to communicate. Mm -hmm. We're humans. We are both, all we do is communicate and all we do is fuck at it. <laughs> So the really? more you're willing to go, yeah, I mean, suck is maybe a strong word, but when it comes to like, hey, communicating emotions and disagreements and what you want and um, well, we're we, still we, we're still we're, evolving apes. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 changed so much. I mean, look at this. This is way different than anything we've ever done historically, right? You know, we're talking over computer and you know, sort of listening to cues, come through the headphones, you know, stuff like that. Um, so we're constantly evolving, and then so you have to try to evolve with that, right? We've gone way beyond, you know, rationing bananas or something like that. We're, you know, we're, we're, now we're rationing, to we're rationing toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> so really, we haven't gone that far, if you think about it. <laughs> it all comes down to, you know, wiping your butt. Um, so yeah, I mean, but that's actually literally true, right? What do we do in these crazy scenarios? And clearly you do have to have a discussion with people who disagree with you. Something like, Hey, you shouldn't buy all that toilet paper. Other people need it. So it's, it's really unavoidable. I think to, um, never have those kind of difficult conversations. So you should actively sort of pursue them. Um, so that when it's really, really important, like now, you're, you know, you're, you're more comfortable with it. Yeah, and right now is an interesting time because we're actually almost more removed from our natural environment than I think we've ever been. And that we're, yeah. all, we're all stuck on quarantine. We can't have normal social interactions. We can't gather. We can't, uh, many of us can't eat together depending on how many people you live with. I'm lucky that yeah. I, live, I live in a house with some other people, so it's not just me here. But um, a lot of us are really isolated and yeah. uh, even, you know, we're making do communicating online like like we are right now. And yeah. all my all my classes are online. All my work is online right now. Uh, cool. But it's certainly nothing like like normal social interaction. This is this is like uh, 
people are calling it like wartime. I, I view it more like ice age time. <laughs> I'm imagining all of us sort of just staying in our caves all winter and waiting the storm. Yeah. Out. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I don't want to say nice, but what's nice is we do have a corollary, which is the uh, so-called Spanish flu. And um, yeah, I mean, it was right after war, kind of during war, right? World War One, where you had, you had a clear enemy, especially in those days of the trenches. And then you sort of have this weird, invisible thing now. So it's like, can I even go outside? What's going to happen to my community? Uh, the upside and downside for us is we see this for real as a global problem. So it's really, we can feel extra isolated because like we can't even go anywhere in the world pretty much travel-wise. Um, so it's a very, it is a very strange time. It's similar to the past, but also very unique because we're all on this planet at least aware of what's happening and finding ways to lock ourselves down and have to communicate. So, um, yeah, it is kind of a ice age of sorts where we're super limited and hiding out. (laughs) Anything else uh, you want to say to people before we go for just staying on the level during these strange times? 100 percent uh thanks for having me on i really appreciate that i think uh if, if us talking and doing this is one way people can keep themselves leveled i've been doing video chats with uh lots of people who i n- normally just kind of dm or whatever but try to see as many faces as you can don't just text them you know call people hear their voices do the facetime we have the technology do group chats with your friends you know try to Try to make it uh, as fun as you possibly can. Uh, keep, keep, you know, be honest with where you're at. If you're alone, if you're single, um, whatever the case is, you know, reach out to people even more so. Um, it's very tough. I can't imagine, you know, I'm lucky I'm married, I have a kid and all that. So I can always just, by the hour, I can say, wow, I'm freaking out. Um, if I was alone, I, I don't even know what I'd be doing. So reach out to people. And just tell them what's going on and always be, you know, be okay. Feel like you can reach out. And then, like we said earlier, as difficult as it is, try to maintain some routine. And if anything, I mean, you know, one thing to me, what do people always say? Oh, if I only have the time, you can you can also look at this time as, hey, now you have the time, right? Oh, you know, now you can learn Spanish or now you can... Uh, you know, read that book you've always been wanting to read. It's a little difficult with the stress levels, but still think about those things that you would have done in the past had you had the time and try to commit to one small thing a day and work on it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Victor. I'm so glad you took the time to to come talk to to us today. Uh, We really appreciate it. We'd love to have you on again sometime. Uh, That would be amazing. Maybe after all this is is done. Maybe maybe we could so do a review. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, definitely. That would be great. Victor is a clinical psych student at Pepperdine, and you could follow yeah. Victor on Twitter at Cognitive Victa. Victor, thank you so much, and I'll see you later. Thank you. All right. Take it easy.